Hey, hey, and welcome. We're about to hang out and jam with one of the most, no exaggeration here, one of the most badass, humble, hilarious, honest, adored, and inspiring guitar heroes you'll ever meet or know about, Mr. Paul Gilbert. I'm guessing you're going to love how deep Paul goes on here. And for that, please join me in thanking Audio Technica, who's bringing this episode to you. They made it possible. They rock. And they've been making amazing headphones and microphones for the past 50 years. One of the most respected companies in the audio realm. Now check it out. Audio Technica has just come out with some of the most evolved in-ear monitoring headphones you could ever dream of using on stage. They're called the E-Series. And we're giving away the flagship model, the top of the line E70. The E70 lists for $399, so it's a very generous prize. But better than that is all the wizardry involved in it. You know, it's got three balanced armature drivers, which to you and me means that it's not only full range, it's very, very accurate in its sound presentation. The E70 also comes with a high-end upgraded coaxial cable that is completely moldable around your ears for the first couple inches, you know, so it hugs your ears. Same with all the cables on all the E-Series. There are three E-Series. The E-70 comes also with a comply memory foam tip that will fit any ear. And you know, a lot of people actually like these sort of fittings better than custom molded. Don't think you gotta go out and get custom molded in-ear monitors to be a pro. And a lot of you are pros or aspiring pros. And Audio Technica knows that. That's why they're reaching out to you. They'd like you to check out the E50 as well, which is very popular. A lot of pro artists actually use the E50 instead of the E70, which is half the cost at $199. And if you just want to get into the game for $99, check it out. The E40 is dope. It comes with your cable. It's got the dual phase push-pull driver that gives you full range. And for $99, you're in the game. And like all of the E-Series, it also comes with four different sizes of silicon ear tip. So you know it's going to work out. Again, head to guitarplayer.com slash paulgilbert if you want to win the top of the line E70. And head to audiotechnica.com. That's audio-technica.com to check out the E-Series for yourself. Thank you, Audio Technica. So that's Paul Gilbert in 1985, not long after he moved out from Pennsylvania to L.A. and put West Coast Shred Guitar on the map when he was barely old enough to vote with Racer X. The shred band that had a guitar tech and a hair tech, as you're about to find out. But anybody who knows Paul Gilbert or is at all familiar with him knows he is not just a shredder. He can shred, but he is an eternal student of music and guitar. Has the most open mind of practically any guitar hero I've ever interviewed. And he is hilarious. The one who wants to be with you. That's a track from Paul Gilbert's new album, I Can Destroy. That's the title, great title, and uh, it's an obvious play on the number one hit song that Paul had with Mr. Big in 1991 called Be With You. great song but we can't listen to it too much or it'll be stuck in your head for a week evil song so catchy and besides as mentioned paul has this brand new record i can destroy that is so deep man it goes in so many directions but ties everything together with great songs
It's got the shred on there. It's got the blues. It's got the sing songs. Tons of vocals. It's got the three guitar attack because Paul is joined by uh, Freddie Nelson and Tony Spinner, two great singer guitarists. Everybody use your eyes. Look at this beautiful day. So yeah, with Paul, we're gonna dive deep into his new album and talk about many aspects of his career. Everything from getting signed by Mike Varney and Shrapnel Records back in the day to the present, where he's working with producer Kevin Shirley on this new album. And again, he's just such a humble, open cat. He talks about things he loves, talks about things he could have done better, talks about his hearing loss. You know, he, he's just such an open dude. He's playing his Ibanez Fireman in his home studio up in Portland. That's right, I'm bringing you to Portland with me because this is kind of a guitar player cover story interview. And some of it you can read about in the current issue of Guitar Player Magazine, the October 2016 GP, Paul Gilbert on the cover. Finally! But, of course, a lot of this is exclusive stuff that you're only going to hear. Like, only 40% of this interview is actually in the magazine. And, of course, we get into a bunch of jams. I got to tell you, Paul Gilbert, man, one of the most amazing things any uh, big shot guitar hero has ever done with me is he jammed with me, and you're going to hear this at the very end, on taking care of business for 15 minutes. I actually shaved it down quite a bit. I don't know, maybe it's seven minutes now at the very end. And believe me, this episode keeps going. We cover everything, and we don't stop until Paul Gilbert is literally playing guitar with his teeth. No joke. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, Thanks again to Guitar Player Magazine, guitarplayer.com. Head to guitarplayer.com slash Paul Gilbert for your chance to win an Audio-Technica E70 in-ear monitoring headphone. So cool. Thanks again to Zoom for the recorder that I use. There will be no outro section of this episode because it's so epically long. And remember, always keep alive till you're 95. I'm Jude Gold. Thanks for listening to No Guitar Is Safe, episode 32. So let's get into the jolly guitar copter, fly up to Portland, Oregon. Paul's new house with his wife and his son. And uh, he's got a great guitar cave down there, studio, where we hang out. He's so funny. I walk in, he's like, dude, check this out. He's listening to Starbuck, the song Moonlight Feels Right on like the Midnight Special. And this amazing marimba player is taking the most epic solo in like a spandex onesie. Paul is just into every kind of music you can imagine. And uh, so let's do it. The first thing you're going to hear is Paul's warm-up exercise. Want to, do, want to do the warm-up together? This is my picking warm-up. It's all upstrokes. That's all upstrokes. You know, yeah. you might be tempted to do a down, or it's, a, it's all up, 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 wow. up, up. And then you do follow it with triplets at the same tempo. I, I borrow those. So triple, 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 triple. Wow. All ups. Yeah. And and you, the trick is actually the transitions, because you've got to get from the low E string to the A string cleanly. And you make sure to mute it. Yeah, and just go across. So let's try it together. One, we, two, yeah. all up. Too loud. You got it. Not quite. 
interesting about the shuffle is it's got dynamics. Not everything's the same volume. And that's the curse of the modern guitar player. He's not no ability to control the dynamics. Why do you think it's the curse of the modern guitar player? Because the modern guitar players don't swing. Why don't they swing? Because they didn't grow up with them. Yeah. You know, they didn't put in like the bar band yeah. days of doing that for, you know, 10 hours a night. And, and so this is like the fast track to getting that together with your ups. You can get with the downs too. And breathe. I did forget to breathe. <laughs> times through that you got uh mm. <laughs> you have to stop and rest a little bit yeah it, and it um the nice thing about it is uh you know it's, it's not like a liquid we're just trying to get it as fast as possible it really does because it's got that shuffle it focuses you on groove and and it yeah. uh, but the end result is you'll be able to whip through stuff because it'll match your upstrokes with your downstrokes which yeah. most is often the case of what people need to get together. So you're doing all upstrokes. Yeah, and you could do it with downstrokes too. But if you do it with downstrokes, do uh, pick harmonics. Go like. <laughs> the guitar faces help, right? It's not real without them. You hear that, folks? Pick harmonics are not real without the accompanying guitar face. There we go. I like it. Now the right hand is ready for anything, and we just got to do the left hand. And now I don't need the jacket anymore. Right. That was a quick warm up. I mean, in terms of your temperature, yeah. <laughs> jacket comes off. Yeah, you know it. Yeah, I was listening to that song, Joe Walsh, man. It's like, you just don't hear that anymore. It's like a seven-minute rock radio hit. And it goes through all these breakdowns, goes to that weird little... Which I never realized was was probably just a bass harmonics. Got to be some kind of or, or guitars or something. Filter, just, just right? Sort of, yeah, I love it. The chord things, the uh, was it? Uh, or, uh, this yeah. um, this chord. That that's the most nightmarish chord in the world for me. A little triad. Yeah, I mean, this this one or the, what is that? It's like a C. Yeah. Like like this C's okay, and this one's all right, but this one. It's just a horrible fingering. I, I can't. I can't make that one work. Really? I love that one. It sounds this great. One? Remember this disco song? It's a great sounding one, but it's just <laughs> my, my fingers don't like that one. All right, yeah. My everybody. fingers wish there was another way to, to get that to happen. My fingers don't like those damn upstrokes you started me off on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, tell me, like, if you don't mind, what Portland? Like, I'm always fascinated with people who dream about LA as you did when you were mm -hmm. a kid 
then they come out and they actually conquer it. You conquered it pretty fast, went to GIT, became a teacher, all this stuff. Racer X blew up. You guys were on top three of, shows. We were headlining the clubs. It's crazy. And then that must have been a, a wild era with all the... You, I, I, I understand you had a hair tech as well as a guitar tech. We did. It was uh, it was expensive to, to do shows because you had to hire your, your road crew and you had to have the hairspray girl. And uh, But, you know, it was all worth it. Look at those photos. Yeah, man. Just don't get any lighters too close to that. <laughs> now, um, but you also were doing a bunch of other crazy stuff back then with the Racer X, right? What are some of the other antics you did on stage? Well, we had the drill, with yeah. the, you know, the picks on the end of the drill, of course. Um, we had... Just do anything we could think of. We we had inflatable six foot sharks that we we hung in you know the transparent fishing line and and had and we opened up with the Jaws theme you know <laughs> and we started doing that. Awesome. And then we'd let the, have the road crew would let the the, the sharks they looked like they were flying through the air attacking the people in the front row. Awesome. And uh, we had uh, gods you know inflatable Godzillas on stage. We had uh, the, our singer built a mic stand that had a ladder at the bottom so he could climb up. So as the curtain would raise, you'd just see this pole, and all of a sudden his feet would appear, and you know, he'd be <laughs> you know perched at the top of the mic stand like some insane bird. We we I remember it was it was, it was a really disappointing moment when our our. Um, drummer got this brand new white drum kit and it turned out that the paint didn't respond to fluorescent lights because you know we had fluorescent lights specially brought in to make our guitars glow even more kind of like black lights or? yeah or black lights exactly right. and there's something about the, the paint it was like it doesn't glow oh, this, is, this is a disaster <laughs> are you guys laughing at him <laughs> well no it was actually it was genuine disappointment we're like oh damn you know yeah what are we going to do now you know warrant is going to get signed not us you know ah yeah. and that ended Maybe. up happening you know it all came down to the drummer's paint. I think so. And you had like triple stacked cabinets, were they Marshall cabinets? We had, uh, well, a lot of them were were Lee Jackson custom cabinets. And, you know, going to see bands as a kid, I didn't know that the cabinets were fake. So we used to plug them all in. And our poor <laughs> bass player, he used to, he used to, you know, his mantra was, I can't hear myself. And I, I can understand because we just had him so outnumbered in terms of amps. You got to play by Braille. Remember it. <laughs> exactly. Just to jump ahead for a second, like you came there and then you, you know, did Mr. Big and you kind of kicked LA's ass in a lot of ways. And I've definitely hung out with you there a few times. I don't know if you were in Vegas for a while, but why, why suddenly did you move to Portland, which is such a beautiful place? I, I want to walk. And uh, and I am. You know, I, 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 when you look for houses, you can pull up this thing called the walk score. And where I'm living is like, you know, 98 out of 100 or something. And it's a 100 out of 100 bike score. And uh, I just want to, I'm not really an exerciser. So <laughs> half my YouTube comments are like, eat a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, you know, just to try to keep myself in shape, I, I, I tend to need to have some motivation to uh, to do something and my motivation is lunch is three blocks away nice. and uh and so i'll walk the three blocks and i, I did I, I walked three blocks today for lunch i walked again for coffee so i got some exercise walking and uh, and i didn't have to get into a car and you know as you may have heard yeah. from the very first song on my uh new album everybody <laughs> use your goddamn turn signal you it know may, it may be time for me not to drive so much that's so funny i was pulling out of the airport in the rental car on my way over here and and there's like a three lanes going the same way, and there's motors around me, and I switch lanes without the signal. Yeah. And right then is that moment in the song where you just yell it. <laughs> Use your goddamn turn! 
turn signal. Use your goddamn signal. Because I had it going through the dashboard. I, was, I wish you could have been there. I, was I actually think that I, if it would have come out earlier, I could have saved a life. And I'm hoping in the future I will save, save a life. There's actually a, you know, the serious news story about this woman. I think her name is Sandra Bland. And she was pulled over in, in, in Texas. She was pulled over by the police for not using her turn signal. Right. And she ended up getting in an right. argument with the officer. They took her to jail. Who knows what happened? And somehow she hung herself. Supposedly. And, you know, it's, it's this horrible, tragic story. But it all began with her not using her turn signal. I thought, if my tune had only been out... Oh, man. You know, it might have been different. So I'm hoping that I'll prevent some future, at least some future <laughs> anger. Because certainly, you know, it's just a... a you know, it's, it's yeah. just to let the person behind you know, you know, I'm, I'm going to do something, you know, it's respectful. Well, I've, I honestly think you have probably done a lot more good than you probably even know because you've always, all your stuff has been so like positive and humorous yeah. and kind of looks at the bright side of life a lot. I've, I've done a lot of damage with those early instructional DVDs though. I've really, <laughs> I've, I think finally with the way I'm teaching now, I'm making up for it, but I really did some harm. How so? Uh, because... I, I genuinely wasn't. Uh, well, let's let's put it this way: when I, I was just trying to be, I was trying to show off, and uh, and and it, and actually, people responded to it really well. Those are popular videos. I still get compliments on today. I've never had any complaints about that. You know, people are like, oh, I love that DVD. It was really inspiring. But um, well, for one thing, it's impossible in an hour long, you know, at the time video and now DVD, you can't really give a balanced look at anything in an hour in terms of instruction. Um, and so I took a particular part of the guitar style, and I think people took that part as being everything. Yeah. And, if, and if you can just play this one little section of the scale really fast, you know, you're, that's all you need. And although right. that's not the way I said it, and actually even in the second video, I kind of apologized for it already because I could tell I was, I could already get a sense of the damage that was being done <laughs> by the students coming to MI. Um, you know, there, there was just uh, oh, Pandora's you know, people box. People get so excited about that one thing, and you know, it's uh, to this day. I, I, I try to think of metaphors that explain why you know you, you got to get your vibrato together before you do anything. I mean, well, yeah. I should say you got to get your like strumming and chords together, uh, and yeah. then some vibrato. It's it's like you know, the latest metaphor I thought of was um, uh, I don't know if it makes any sense, but. Vibrato is like having clothes, and all the other playing is like leaving the house and going to a really nice restaurant. And if you showed up to the restaurant with no clothes on, <laughs> you just did it in the wrong order. Exactly. <laughs> and you, you might say like, yeah, yeah, but I love the food, and I just was really excited to go to the restaurant. It's like, no, you got to put your clothes on. So, yeah. you know, you, you can tell I'm already getting old, you know, got this bee in my bonnet about it. I apologize. It's just, you know, from, from teaching and uh, hearing so, ma so many... Uh, you know, people who have who, who you know they're like well i'll get the vibrato someday it's like no no you got to do it now <laughs> this is an emergency well let's warm up on something we can warm up our vibrato a little what do you want to play something or let's do oh let's see yeah to warm up vibrato well i mean the old ace freely solos were so good because it was like metronomic you know right <laughs> Real metronomic. Let me actually get my like. I, this, yeah. this guitar's got a whammy, so I'm gonna be throwing my strings flat. Let me get a, a good, good vibrato guitar. Mm -hmm. 
Here we go. You goes. know, just on that subject, like that's a really big switch that you used to play whammies fairly often, I assume, especially back in the eighties and stuff. Well, I, I really wanted to because you know, being a Van Halen fan, he was yeah. just crazy with the whammies. And uh, the first Mr. Big tour, I was my own guitar tech, and it was just too ma- too much maintenance to have to deal with. On top of the fact that the band was becoming really successful and we were doing all this press, so you know, n- normally I'd, I'd you know have a half an hour to warm up before the show or something but then you know as the band got bigger it's like no i got an interview to do and, and i'd so i'd you know finally get alone in a room with my guitar five minutes before we're supposed to hit the stage and you know the temperature would change and i'd have to deal with the fine tuners and the springs and and, and it was just too much yeah. panic to, to this is like i can't deal with this and the other thing is um of course that was before you really had a lot of computer processing for um for music and I was always figuring out songs from records. I mean, to this day, I, I, I figure out music to, for, for fun and for you know, self-education. And if the song's like, you know, a quarter step out because somebody verispeeded it when they mixed it, you know, yeah. you, with, with a, a fixed bridge, you can easily tweak it. Of course, now with the amazing slowdown or one of those things, you can tweak it with a computer. But those days, you couldn't, so you had to tune to it. Yeah. And if you've got a floating system, it's like, you know, tuning to anything but what your guitar set up to was just a nightmare. So I yeah. just I just got... It's so I just wanted to pick up the guitar and play, and not have to deal with yeah. you know. But as tools. a player, you dropped something that used to this you know was an integral part of a one type of guitar playing, and you kind of let that go to it. I, know I don't know how have, integral it was. I mean, it's it's just um, to Van Halen or Jeff Beck, it's like a third arm. I think Eddie. I mean, I've seen pictures oh, yeah. of Eddie with Les Paul. You know, there's there's definitely songs where there's no way. Oh yeah. Oh no, you're absolutely right. Like half the first album. Yeah. So. Uh, you it's know, I, 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 I beg to, <laughs> to, to to look for an exception. What I mean is, it's just interesting that you, that that you drop that the way, like a you know, some species lose their tail or whatever. Yeah. Well, I guess the other thing is, I, I grew up wanting a whammy but not having one. Yeah. And my first electric guitar was a, was a Les Paul, and and I I wanted a whammy, but you know, you couldn't get them. Dude, the, I, the, I got <laughs> my first real guitar was a, like a eighty or seventy two Strat that I bought. It was like twelve years old or something, or. I was like, yes, got at home, was looking for the little hole to put the, there's, there was, I was like, in the back, it was like, it was nowhere to be found. It turned out it was a hardtail strat. Oh, man. Which is cool. Yeah. In the long run, but at the Great time. Great tone. And... Yeah, so the Nile Rodgers guitar is kind oh, of yeah. what it is, but. So, yeah, maybe, what what is your, your vibrato warm-up? Oh, let's see. Or, well, it's, uh, first, I, for just about anything besides that, yeah. well, actually, I was going to say, even that um, the crazy upstroke thing I did, I'm keeping my foot going the whole time. Yeah. And that's, I mean, most of the playing I do now, at, on my, for just for my own satisfaction, I'm just trying to get a boogie together, you know, playing over to one, four, five. And so, I'll, actually, it probably came from playing Slippin' and Slide, the Little Richard tune, because um, I, I thought, from, from having a, you know, a, a very young son. I thought I got to let him know what's important about music, and so to me, it's really important that he knows. Like, slipping in a slide, peeping in a hiding, been told a long time ago. Slipping in a slide, peeping in a hiding, been told a long time ago. I've been told that you've been born, I won't be your fool no more.
And so there's a, a lot of that trying to keep that swing together and, and to hit the changes. And uh, listen to the original solo of that song. It's a, it's a sax. And he does the coolest, like, that's the way he does it. I mean, on guitar, of course, it's a different instrument. But it, um, you know, how do you get that? It's real yeah. rhythmic, so it, it's uh, that's a lot of what, it, and and just things like where um, you know, where you keep that going, but rhythmically hit it and, and where it should be. Like if your your tempo's blowing, you start going, you know, you know, some kind of syncopated one, two, three, four. Or let's see, maybe even things that would hit the changes, like yeah, that was a kind of a cool. I like how you, I like how you got your foot tapping on the two and the four too. Keeps it groovy, you know. I don't know if you even realize you're doing. Oh, I, I definitely realize it again from from teaching. I realize everything. Yeah, oh, yeah. There you go. That's the. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the two and the four. Well, that's that's rock, and, yeah. and, and everything that's connected to it is having the snare on two and four, and uh, it's funny the one and three guys. You know, it, it's it's really. I mean, I, I understand it, it, it. It's hard to to take a habit and switch it around, um, and there's a lot of cases where. It, where it's, it's so much easier to tap on everything, but that's yeah. a fast tempo. So to, to go like, oh yeah, that's that's just too, you yeah. know physically it's going to shake your body around too much. Yeah. So it, yeah, that's got to be on two and four. But like all the ACDC stuff to be able to yeah. go like one, two, and three, because that's oh. real syncopated. But to hit it on the two and four, like one, two, three, that's a little trickier. So it well that, that was not that bad. What would be a tricky one? Like one of the tougher stomps. That foot is uh Well the shuffling one, like doing um you know <laughs> That's a tricky one. Like cause that's right in the middle. Yeah. But I've I've skirted over the uh, vibrato there. So for vibrato a lot of it's also just knowing where your chord tones are. So, you know, to me, the you know, I, I know the guitar player keys best, like any guitar player. So, if I'm looking for A minor, I want to know, you know, the the, the usual ones, the, the Jimmy Page fifth, you know, and the root. I can overbent that. I apologize. But the ones that a lot of times the the rock guys don't know is the half step bends bending to the minor third. Yeah. And uh, and of course, if you get your yeah. if it's if it's a Dorian kind of thing, you've got the sixth to the seventh. But if yeah. it's natural minor, that doesn't work because you, you know, the, the sixth gets weird. Um, and you've got the, the, the from the fifth to the seventh, uh, you know, the Jimmy Page, the and then there's the major ones, which. But with major, so much of it is like a combination of major and minor, the, which is the, the blues kind of thing. And I love the, yeah. the, the in um, that thing Eric Johnson taught me. The, he just that one at the beginning. Of, you know, with, or it's like yeah. where he sort of right. hits it like by bending. Just one of those things 
with, 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 he's with yeah. the band. We all know and, that It's such a beautiful thing, and I can't get that out of my ears now ever since hearing that. Like Cliffs of Dover or something? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that, that's such a beautiful move. Absolutely. Now, you know, I think the last time I saw you, maybe, was maybe at MI, used to come down there quite a bit and teach the students when you, you come down for like, a, you know, we, we put up the big Paul light in the sky, kind of like the bat light, you know, <laughs> the spotlight into the night sky and you come down and teach for a few weeks and then you were gone. But the last time I remember, it seemed like you were playing like vintage cowboy songs for anyone who would listen. Walking. I was in my Johnny Cash phase. There's an engine at the station and the whistle blows my name. It's calling, 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 come and get aboard the train. Gonna ride a blue train. Gonna ride a blue train. <laughs> I love it. But that, yeah. that that's more was more for my singing than than the than the playing. I was just gonna, the, the playing's cool, but that, that's it's just nice to have something where I don't have to strain for the notes. Well, I was going to say, your singing is, is just off the hook, man. It's getting more and more amazing. I'm, I'm I, learning my limitations and staying within them. <laughs> this new album, for I think, on the subject of like those singable songs, this is these are I'm you know I don't know every song you've ever recorded. However, these seem like the most singable group of songs. Like it's so accessible. Well, thank you very much. Like, uh, it's crazy. I, like, I, it's, I still have my expectations low as far as being the, the pop star that I always wanted to be, but. Uh, and I, and I had help too. Uh, uh, Freddie and Tony, yeah. the, the two other guitar players that I worked with, are are both, you know, world class vocalists. So uh, you know, if the bridge was too high, I'd just you know, print out the lyrics for Tony, and 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 he'd he'd sing the bridge, and and if there's harmonies, they'd, they'd help me out with it. So that's, uh, you know, I'm just I've got a lot of help from my friends. These are great tunes. Maybe we'll listen to a little snippet of one here. I was thinking of. Maybe gonna make you love me like for them. That's like so singable as a, oh, as a listener. That's actually Freddie's tune. Yeah, and Freddie sings the first verse. I but, noticed that, but yeah. I, uh, I I sing the second verse. So you can you can uh, you can do an A B comparison there. got like the uh loses saving my life that's a fun one you, you can think of any any list of things that are going to kill you and just list yeah. them off yeah that's that was in g i'm thinking about putting it down to e and in the future just so i can really uh you know not have to strain but the the cool part of that song is the bridge well let's we'll yeah. get to the bridge let's, my mama's trying to kill me my father's trying to kill me my sister's trying to kill me the blues are saving my life. My boyfriend. Oh, I don't know. What, I gotta think of the. <laughs> Anything. That made, that made no sense. Uh, what are some other things trying to kill me? Something you want to tell us? No, I'm just gonna go ahead. Yeah, well, my shirt. The great white buffalo is trying to kill me. The pronghorn antelope is trying to kill me. The tarantula is trying to kill me. 
the blues just saving my life. I can always rely on the falsetto. And then the bridge, which was uh, the heavy metal chord. Just a judge and jury. And that's where Tony sings. Just finding me guilty. That almost sounded like Eric Martin, that little part. And then we got this crazy chord. It's a little different. I don't though. know. <laughs> I'm just guessing. It's a, um, if, if play a C13. And then move your thumb up a half step. Oh, it's beautiful. It's actually a substitution for the two chord, I yeah. think. Because if, if you're in if you're in G and you play like an A seven, yeah. When you put the when you put the shove on, it's kind of like that. Saucy. Everyone, everyone I see, like an old judge and jury, just finding me guilty. And then the punishment, saying you're a Kill me. The librarian trying to kill me. The doctor trying to kill me. The blues just saving my life. Just repeat that. The blues just saving my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here you take a solo. Gotta figure out the changes. I can't hear myself. I gotta be louder. Yeah, turn it up, Mick. What's, what's, I don't even know the changes. I gotta learn it. I'll, I'll take it on tour and learn this song eventually. <laughs> you had. Then D. Trying to kill me. Jeweled gold trying to kill me. Not really. Guitar player magazine trying to kill me. The blues just saving my life. 
that's good enough. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> I said that to, to Tony Spinner, the you know the, the genuine blues guitar player on the record, and uh, he, he, wrote, he wrote me back. He said, "This is great." And the, the club owner is trying to kill me. He had his whole own list of them. <laughs> you said, well, that's the beauty of that tune. You can just. You can insert your own... (laughs) You don't have to remember any lyrics. Exactly. Just make it up as you go along. Just whatever you're looking at. Exactly. You know, out in the crowd. Girl in the pink shirt's trying to kill me. So, um, how is... It really seems like a really... I mean, you're really focusing on songwriting now. This is kind of like the deepest you've gone in this direction. It's to me. I I would say that the the first... Well, there have been stages of it. The first time I really focused on songwriting was when Mike Varney told me that my songs were, were lousy. And I just sort of couldn't believe it. And then he he was persistent. You know, it was, a, it was you know, months of him telling me. When my, was that? Song, I was like 16 or 17 years old. And uh, so finally, I, I just really put time into it. And uh, it came with a bunch of songs when I was 17, which ended up becoming a lot of the first Racer X record. And, uh, and that stuff was, was all right for that genre. Um, and then it was really getting in, sort of back into my pop roots and uh, going through the, the Beatles catalog and the Beach Boys and Todd Rundgren. And uh, I, mean, I mean, just the, the other day, I, I figured out uh, for one of my students the uh, a Rundgren tune called Bag Lady. And, you know, this is all real pianoish stuff where it's, um, it's chords that the guitar players are familiar with, but the bass note's different. So you, you right. play a G, but you've got F in the yeah. bass instead of G in the bass. And then he does yeah. this little melodic movement on top. Up and down the lane, the West Broadway, the bag lady, oh, the bag lady wonders. And I never realized yeah. that he was doing that chord right which, and uh it's just such a cool there's the ones i can't get that he does like the those, those sort of half steppy ones yeah and with, with but it's got the a in the bass yeah, it's beautiful and it's yeah. just you know I, if i sit here and plan it out i can sort of get it but in you know in the scheme of things it's impossible so you end up especially you know, because you hate this you end triad. Up abbreviating it with, with <laughs> you know you come I don't know the lyrics, but then the. Well, that one reminds me of Michael McDonald. Yeah. Like the. Uh, <laughs> and it's got that whole. She had a place in his life. I'm sorry, I've got to go through yeah. the whole song to get to the good part, but. Uh, I love <laughs> I mean how did you just nail his voice so well I mean 
Well, you, I mean, with Michael McDonald, you just have to try. You just got to go for it and get And the, I've got a little bit of a beard going, so... The beard affects the tone, I know. It really it helps does. out. It does. It's the F filter, <laughs> where every, every consonant becomes a letter F. Really? So. <laughs> and the facial expressions help, too. Now, so you were talking about your phases of songwriting, and now, how, where does this phase find you now with this, this new album? Oh, this is the new one. I started mostly with lyrics, and then... You just take a look at the lyrics and and let you know everything that you know about chords you know from your lifetime sort of you know work for you and, and figure out how to how to make it work with the melody. So, um, but having lyrics is so helpful because uh, it just gives you a place to start. It, it doesn't even have to be you know the actual meaning of them. I mean that you you know I, I, maybe that'll be the next phase where I start caring about what they mean, <laughs> right? <laughs> and have, have that somehow you know affect the music. But to me, it's, it's still very much a musical thing where the, the, the lyrics will have a rhythm to them or, or you know, an assortment of rhythmic possibilities. And, and that leads somewhere and then you attach, you know, your chord knowledge to it and then stuff comes out. And, uh, you know, just for, for example, there's a tune, a tune called uh, One Woman Too Many. And uh, yeah. I had two completely different musical versions of that. And I ended up just picking the one that was faster because it was faster. And that was the, that... Uh, I got one, one woman too many. I got one, you got the harmony, one more that I can use. I got one, one woman too many. And the ball telling me I got to choose. That's got I that. Love it. Ba, 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 ba. I was wondering where the second chord was. It's a, it's a, it's a two GIT chords that I went with it. So it's a <laughs> minor nine and a minor eleven. So uh, yeah, yeah. And that way you get. Yeah, and that way your melody. Yeah. And that's that's the best thing I ever learned from jazz is, is to not not emphasize the root in the in the melody or the solo because the the rhythm section is already doing the root for you. Right. And so. Th- and I, I got that in a really nice way, which was listening to my wife play or practice jazz chords. And I thought I knew jazz chords because I went to GIT and I learned, you know, a major seventh. And I thought, well, now that I've got that, how much more jazzy could I ever be than, you know, playing a major seventh yeah. chord? But uh, from hearing my wife's voicings, I'm like, man, there, there's something about those voicings that's that's hipper than w- what I'm doing. And I suddenly realized, you know, she's not playing the roots in, in her upper voicing or even sometimes the, the lower one and you're leaving room for the bass guitar and and it's really a nice way to to, to play solos and it kind of affected a lot of my fingerings where yeah. now if I'm playing in minor instead of immediately going and emphasizing the, the root I might go you know where, right. where I, I didn't play the root there I played the ninth the seventh and the, the fifth and you know yeah sure and a lot of you end up getting uh you know, there's whole scale shapes you can do. You want to play a little solo over that groove? I'll see if I can do a one, a two, three. And for the chord, um, instead of instead of minor, minor seventh. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I was, but I was adding the fifth. But the fifth is just muddying it up, huh? Yeah, the, the, <laughs> that's, that's the thing that. with, with songwriting. I mean, sorry to inter- interrupt, but oh, no, but no. but I noticed that the other day that I'm I'm real picky about. <laughs> little things like that and um, I haven't figured out a way to teach it yet 
other than just learning a lot of songs and and you start to, you know as you go through like the Beatles catalog you realize like you know like you said like that can't have a fifth even though on paper you'd never be able to tell or, or at least my level of theory but there's those things with the voicing like where it's, it's just not the same and it's real yeah. subtle it sounds open more open without the fifth here and yeah and i don't even know why it's just it's just immediately alarm yeah. goes off like hold on something, <laughs> <laughs> something's something's not right there so That's yeah the, without the fifth one two three four Stop me. <laughs> oh, it sounds great, yeah. The licks on this record, too, are just anthemic, like arena rocking almost. Like you, Let's take a listen to I Can Destroy. Oh, that yeah. chorus. Oh, my gosh. And then the riffs. say riffs like the beginning of knocking on a locked door I mean are you going for almost radio rock kind of stuff I mean it seems to really hearken to to your early influences well, my, I mean, one of my favorite riffs has got to be the, the turn signal riff. 
eyes look at this beautiful day everybody use your ears listen to me when i say now everybody use your goddamn hey everybody just a quick one-time break here to again thank audio technica for bringing us paul gilbert for this extended episode of no guitar is safe you know their new E-series in-ear monitors remind me of being on the road with Jefferson Starship and how we we go old school. You know, we got these giant wedges everywhere and the stage volume is jet engine loud. And then sometimes we play with Blue Oyster Cult. And these guys, at least one or more, all of them, I don't know, are using the Audio-Technica E-series monitors in their skulls. Their stage volume is so clear and the sound out front is clear. It's where everyone is headed. I can't wait to try my first pair of E-Series, and I hope that you guys get a chance to check it out at audiotechnica.com. That's audio-technica. And also, they work with any receiver or belt pack, you know, transmitter and receiver setup that you got. Although, of course, you might want to check out Audio-Technica's M3 and M2 transmitter slash receivers. Those are killer setups that have amazing features I wish I had time to get into here. But in the meantime, head to guitarplayer.com slash paulgilbert to enter your name and possibly win an E70 flagship in-ear monitoring set from Audio-Technica. Let's play that for a second. I love that. Now, the trick with this one, and I've played it with two other guitar players, you know, Tony and Freddie, it took us about, well, actually not that long, but you know, we had to go through it a little bit so we all could sync up that little pinky bend on the A. It was just enough to give yeah. you the right kind of face. And everybody, every guitar player is going to have a little different feel on that. Right. So you know, as we do it, that's going to get better and better because we're going to be listening to each other. Interesting. So we yeah. go one, two, three, four. And do you, you get the chord there? So it's actually an F sharp, an A, yeah. and then the two open strings. Yeah. That's nice. So I love it. Three, four. Use your ears, listen to me when I say now. Everybody, use your goddamn turn Everybody, use your goddamn turn signal. Fun tune. Now, how did you? How did you get that TikTok sound just like that? <laughs> kind of like just—I I, I was so happy coming up with that. That's you know, <laughs> coming up with the turn signal sound to accompany the song. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously enough just muting the strings with the with the left hand and then doing up down up down. Now, the way you mixed it, it sounds even not so guitar-y. Well, well, we did include. We went out and, and mic'd up. Uh, 
the, the, turn, the turn signal in my car as well. So it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's a combination <laughs> of the guitar and the actual turn signal. Everybody use your eyes. Look at this beautiful day. What kind of Everybody signal do you need to get this tone? It's, it's actually it was my, my wife's Mini, which oh, is yeah. a, the loudest turn signal I've ever heard in my life. I've actually, I wear hearing aids and it's painful. Right. And as, as, you know, after writing that song, I have to use my turn signal. And I sit there like at a long light and it's excruciating because my, my hearing aids like amplifying that thing to, to a thousand. You've told me before what you think was the start like maybe some dreadful nam jam where your your face was too close to a pa cabinet oh, i forgot about that one yeah i was trying to figure out what key the song was and so i just stuck my ear into the monitor going like i got i gotta hear what key uh, you know the band went to do a tune i didn't know it i was just trying to figure out what key it was in but you know it was, it was that and a thousand other things interesting well yeah you have such a sense of humor but first of all you're such a good outlook about it you're just totally positive about this this situation you actually the head the the earmuff look that you have with those whatever you call it, airport jet engine protecting oh, yeah. drummer's headphones like you made those look cool <laughs> Well, that's that's kind of you. It's you know, it's true. I mean, you, and it all comes from your attitude. Um, I think like, where'd you get this damn positive attitude from? Um, I think it's uh, uh my my dad used to um used to talk about like how life could be, and I don't I don't think his life was you know that horribly difficult. But he would say things like you know, imagine living in a time before Novocaine. Think, think about it. you know you know you get a little cavity, and you go to the dentist, and and there's nothing they can do. You know they're just going to be drilling through your tooth, and it's it's going to be the most hellacious thing in the world. You know now we've, that doesn't have to happen. There's there's Novocaine now, and he would show, he'd sort of have an appreciation for the modern world and and the, and the, and you know growing up in in Western civilization, and you know often I'll think like. You know, I, I could have been in a prison camp, or you know, there's these these hor- I could you know, be sent off to Siberia and in in some horrible Russian war, you know, freeze to death with uh, and starve to death, and you know, here I am with a gu- electric guitar in my hand, is talking about vibrato. You know, this is so great. <laughs> you know, so that's that's sort of yeah. doing those those sort of unusual comparisons, because um, happiness is all about expectations, and uh, at least you know, and that's I've just discovered that from my own. Whenever I get unhappy. It's because I've, I expect something, and, and something that, that something doesn't happen, and it can be something really trivial. But I'll find myself getting really pissed off because you know I thought I was going to be the one to soundcheck first, and the other band sort of soundcheck. It's like, but I was supposed to be there, and I'm like, why am I so bent out of shape? And it's like because of expectations. And uh, so I guess I have my expectations, you know, set nice and low, and that, that keeps me happy most of the time. Well, I think that happiness then contributes to your sense of humor because I always, I mean, by being able to look at the bright side, I think people could see the humor side. I find you crack me up left and right with every single record, every single video you've ever done. There's always something funny about it. What makes you laugh? What What are some musical artists that that you find to be funny? I, I mean, curb your enthusiasm really makes me laugh. Uh, that's not, you know, not, not a band or, right, or a song. Right. Um, you know, the, 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 when I was a kid, the, you know, Gary Larson, The Far Side. Um, uh, me too. With, with, with music, it's, um, it's not so much that I want to be funny, it's that I don't want to be boring. And I don't want to be predictable. And uh, when, I mean, there's some, you know, amazing guitar players that I'll see and I'll, and I'll just think, that guy's unbelievable. And I'm just, it's just, I, I feel like, I mean, I'm trying to elaborate on boredom, but 
I just, I just feel like uh, I, I feel a uh, an obligation to be interesting. It's, I guess, it's, it's, uh, maybe I feel like with, without it, I'm not enough or something. But it's. Uh, you know, it's it's I I feel like there's a there's a pressure that I'm going to be performing for people, whether it's you know whether it's live or whether it's you know some sort of time delay like an album. You know, you do it and then they hear it later, and and I just want them to be interested in it. And if it's and and there's a, a lot of stuff that's just it, it can be good. I mean, uh, I mean, it's, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this because yeah. it's easy. It's pretty safe to pick on the really famous people because they're indestructible. Like to me, Eric Clapton is great and unbelievably boring. And, I'm, I'm, and you know, if Eric yeah. was here right now, you know, I don't think he'd care because he'd like, you know, I'm ten thousand <laughs> times more famous than you, and I'm, you know, had, you know, been had way more women, and you know, who, who knows what else. And uh, I play better blues, and you know, so he, he's he's indestructible. <laughs> well, he's he's not going to be hurt by my little comment. But uh, I remember as a kid, you know, reading like that Eddie Van Halen was was a huge Clapton fan. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me, you know? Yeah, you're, you're serious, you know? Of course, you know, I hadn't heard all the Cream stuff. Dude, we're would... we're like the same generation, and same with me. I was like, Cocaine, yeah, Clapton, yeah. you know that song? Yeah. But I must admit, and of course, that's not his tune. It's JJ Kale tune. Right. But he was on the radio at that time with that tune. Yeah. And but the thing is, is is now I have. I, uh, I've, you know, I don't know if it progressed, but I've come to the point where I really wish I could write stuff like that. JJ Kale's the man. Yeah, and and the, and the, when I say stuff like that, the, yeah. the, I would like to write stuff that anybody can play, and and there, it, that was a total opposite. When I when I was a kid, I wanted to write stuff that nobody but me could play, because that's what I liked. You know, I'd hear "I'm the One" by Van Halen, and I think nobody else can play that. And to this day, you know, you can hear other people play "Eruption." I don't want to hear anybody except eddie van halen play eruption you know that's that's just that that's like his fingerprint you know it's like a fingerprint every all the fast guys have their own way of being fast i don't want to hear somebody else doing ingve i want to hear ingve doing ve and i want to uh, when neil Schoen does his fast licks he does them his way and so um but the thing with a song like cocaine it's so simple that you could probably have you know 20 different people cover that song and they'd all be good where you, where nobody's going to cover "I'm the One" and it's it's never going to touch the Van Halen version, and uh, so as as a kid, that's what appealed to me. I, I like the athleticism and the fact that nobody else can do this. Yeah. I like the exclusivity of it. Where now I'm sort of becoming more, you know, as, as a songwriter, to, to me, it's it's really great if your if your song can be be a strong enough tune where it can survive the performance of of other people's interpretation and uh, <laughs> well said. And, and it also makes it uh so it is played more i mean nobody's going to cover i'm the one because it's just so such a looming challenge um but uh you know anybody can i mean there's been you I know 10,000 versions of uh you know what is, i don't know what key it's in but Yeah, you know, the, that's that's a simple enough tune. And, you know, any you know, a lot of people are going to be able to make that sound good. Not the same isn't true for Carnival Number no. Nine. True, which is why I covered yeah. it in the old days. <laughs> that's amazing. So yeah, well, how do you feel about the term shred? Now, I mean, obviously, shred was something that was applied to you big time in the '80s, and you were kind of a pioneer of that movement, so to speak. But there is a certain seriousness, and almost like like you seem to be continually shedding that. That's shedding the shred. Yeah, you're shedding the shred, and in uh, well, it, not it, that you ever. I never thought of you as a shredder, but in the magazines. Well, it's an know. easy way to market myself. 
Right. So I'm always, you know, when anybody asks me to write a bio for myself, which you do these days, you know, I always put the first thing, you know, Paul Gilbert Shredder, you know, because it's just, yeah. you know, you know, cornflakes is a cereal and I'm a shredder, you know, that I can't, if I want to sell the stuff, yeah. you know, that's what, that's what I got to do. But uh, at the same time, the, the, you know, the term does make me cringe and, and, and cause me pain because uh, the, the people who want to be shredders, I think are really in a completely different mindset than where my mind, mindset is. I don't think they would relate at all to the sort of things that I'm into. I think there's a, a real difference between, and, and I, I'll just always remember when I first started teaching like at, at MI, you know, I was 18 years old and I was, you know, as shreddy as I would ever be in my life. And I'd be showing the students, I'd be making references. Like I'd be saying, oh, it's like that, you know, for example, people would say, well, what's, uh, you know, what's Lydian? And I said, oh, it's like that, um, or no, I remember the one, what's Mixolydian? And I said, it's like Strawberry Fields, that, that licking, you know, was it? Uh, that, yeah. Is, is it that, yeah. that line of Strawberry Fields. And I think right. everybody knows that. It's the Beatles. And they'd be like, what's that song? I'd be like, you don't know Strawberry Fields? And it just <laughs> blew my mind. Well, I know Dawkins. Like, ah. <laughs> so yeah. I love Dawkins. But, you know, and it's, it's a generational thing. And as I got older, I really started to realize, like, that everybody is of a generation. And, you know, you, when I grew up, I just assumed that, you know, everybody knew what I knew. And in the same way where... You know, I figured everybody has tried a McDonald's cheeseburger. Everybody's tried a Coca-Cola. Everybody has seen uh, Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers. And everybody knows the Beatles catalog. And uh, it, it turns out if you if you were born 20 years earlier or later, you might not be familiar with that stuff. Although you probably still have tried the cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to talk to you about some tones now. Like, uh, first of all, today you, you, you've got this uh, Kemper happening. Oh, I see. yeah. You've been into the Kemper? running direct into some Genelec monitors here at your home studio. I hope that it comes through. We're going direct out of the back. We, we didn't sound check it or anything, but... <laughs> It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's a Kemper. The, uh, I used it to, like, you know, suck out the tones of my favorite amps, and uh, and I just ended up with this one. I don't know what it, what this is. It's like, let me find the one. Let me find one that I made. Let's see how you do this. I haven't touched a button on this in about a month. So, so this one is my Marshall... Uh, 2061X with with a uh, Mojo Mojo uh, distort or overdrive pedal, and you know there, there it, is. it is. So, um, and how to describe the process? How did you? It's a crazy process. You you plug in. I mean, you have to have something of a studio. You've got to have a, you know your 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 guitar, your amp. Um, you have to have it mic'd up through a preamp, and then you send the output of the preamp into the back of the Kemper, and uh, and then you actually plug yeah i think that's it and then you, you yeah. press a couple buttons and it, it sends all this white noise and, and stuff through your rig and somehow detects the character of, of your rig uh with that and, and once it's you know once it's memorized that then you can further tweak it but i'd, I'd try not to tweak it too much after that um you know just leave it as if anything i'd probably turn the distortion down a little bit i want to be able to stop without yeah. noise so but the, the yeah. thing I did is I actually A beat it, to, like I you know took a real, you know the the, the real thing, and recorded something, and then uh, did the same thing with the Kemper, and I couldn't tell the difference. If anything, the Kemper might have sounded a little better. So, 
uh, and I did a couple sessions with it, and they paid me. So that's you, know, <laughs> you got it, paid. It's, it's passed the, uh, the 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 hearing test, and it's passed the, uh, the the taking care of business test. Well, yeah, your review is pretty much like most reviews that I've heard of it. Just what you said. Now, and what it just did, looks cool. It looks like the robot on Lost in Space. It does kind of, yeah, a little Danger Will Robinson kind of vibe. Now, what did you use? Let's listen to again. Uh, Turn signal. What did was that? How did you track that on the album? <laughs> That was what well, had to be this guitar actually. I'm holding now. The, it's the FRM 250 MF, and I, I brought two firemen to the studio. This one and the one with the P90s. I know it was this one because there's there's spaces in that song, and then it's got humbuckers. Otherwise, you would have heard like, you know, there would have been some hum there. Ah, Kevin took that out. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was just I, I was using um, for that tune. I th- I think I had. A way huge, what's that pedal called? It's a, it's black with pink writing. I think. Oh no! Oh no! No, it was a red llama. A way huge red llama that was sounding good on that track, and uh, I actually had a uh, a Germino head, which is a, you know a copy of a guy that does you know sort of takes the old Marshall circuits and you know instead of searching around for a vintage Marshall, you can get a head from him, and it's you know going to be reliable, and the tubes are new, and so oh, yeah, it, it sounds nice. Is that was that kind of your go-to rig for all your big distortion tones, or did you have a lot of different rigs on the I, album? I would have a um, an MXR Distortion Plus, and I'd kick that on for the solos. Um, What's a good it, example of a solo like that? Well, so Most where, of them? where I did that, you know, I would be doing the rhythm, and then when it came to the. Like that little fill, yeah. I'd, I'd kick on the distortion pedal, basically just so I don't have to pick it quite as hard. I can, right. I can lighten up my touch a little bit, and uh, and the hammer-ons and pull-offs don't have to work quite as hard. It just makes the guitar yeah. more sensitive. So, yeah, you know, what you what you gain in uh, in in not having to work as hard, you actually have to work harder for the string muting. But that's such an ingrained part of my playing that that that's usually not too not too much right, of a right. battle. And then, so as far as accessories, like, it's interesting, like, another way that we can prove you're not a shredder is you're using 60, 0.60 millimeter picks. Well, these, well after, right after the album, I switched to 0. 0.50. 0. 0.50 even. Yeah, well, first of all, yeah, they're so good for pick scratches. These are Tortex, right? So the, This is the Tortex, um, it's called the Wedge. You know, I got some buddies like a over little, there. Tiny, little tiny bit bigger than the, the regular one. I've, I didn't realize that they could make, like, all the thicknesses in all the different colors. Oh, so yeah. The, the 60s would be the orange ones, right? Of course, yeah, exactly. yours might have been white or your custom ones. Uh, yeah, I think I was using... And now these the, are 5.50. Which is actually inspired by... I mean, I'm, this this might be a total myth, but I think I think Ted Nugent might use really thin picks. And I was... You know, again, when you work with Kevin Shirley, you don't really fix much or anything. And the bonus track in the record is Great White Buffalo, the Ted Nugent tune. And I really didn't play the intro as well as I think I can or would have liked to. But it was live, and that's what we went with. So um, I thought, man, i got to get my, you know, I'll blame the gear. Maybe my pick was too thick. I was using the .60. So I went down <laughs> to the .50, and I think, just we'll test it out now. <laughs> My, now I'll blame it on my hands. My hands got cold again. But. <laughs> mm. 
think you warmed up. <laughs> it's well, I mean, it can sound one way. I'm struggling a little bit more than I should. Plus, right. Ted fingers it differently. He plays in the open position. And I think he doesn't pick everything. I think he like throws a pull off oh, in there. Well, it's which... so tempting to pull off on that kind of stuff. But he gets so. on, he gets a lot of chug out of it somehow. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just it's it's really when you, if you listen to the original version, it's just raging good. Well, yeah, I love these picks. It's a, it's you know, it's interesting because a lot of people don't really mess with thin picks, and this is well, pretty thin. Well, here's the thing about shred is that the, the to me the 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 curse of the modern shredder is all the motions getting really small. <laughs> right. And, and this thing that's supposed to be athletic and powerful and, and ripping your face off is starting to be created by tiny, teeny little, you know, <laughs> sophisticated motions that, you know, that are, are just, um, it, it's, it's, it's becoming so, like, feminine. And you know that that's maybe that's a, a bad and politically incorrect dainty. It's it's uh, it's dainty. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the word. It's just becoming so dainty, and uh, and you know growing up listening to rock and roll. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it's, I mean, well, it's, I, there's it's room the for everything. An, antithesis of Pete Townsend. Exactly. And uh, and having um, having something dainty can be really useful because then if you follow it with something that's you know k- kicking the guitar's ass. It can it can be really be effective, but if you're just dainty all the time, it's uh, I'm going to use that word for the rest of my life. That's that's a great <laughs> one. Um, you know, it it just it just you know di- distances it gets so far from the spirit of rock, and uh, and that's it. And, and I I just can't do that. So with the thin pick, you really have to hit it. You know, you have to you have to you have to drive yeah. the guitar. You got you got to hit it hard, and, and that that yeah. feels good. And then you you know sometimes if you hit a string too hard with a heavy pick, it goes sharp because you're hitting it so hard. And I, I mean, and certainly yeah. I, I played with a heavy pick for a long time, and I've got a lot of stuff yeah. that came out sounding good. So you can kind of adjust to anything. There's, but it's just uh, I think the the more like '70s guitar rhythm playing that I'd like to do, or even just the the. You know, the <laughs> You know, just an old yeah. shovel just feels nice, or the, you know, something like old faces. Just where you're certain hit, hitting everything, and and especially when I teach, I'm always encouraging people to just hit everything and try to mute it with the left hand. So if you're hitting one note, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm yeah. violently hitting all the other strings and using the left hand, especially the thumb. Well, well, I could talk for an hour about the thumb. Don't get me started. On your fretting hand. Yeah. Because you don't have to talk for an hour on it, but why could you talk for an hour about it? I mean, just the use of it for... Well, you know, again, this is... Uh, I'll preface it by, by saying this is a style thing. Yeah. You know, if you're a classical guitar player, you've got a clean sound, and you're never and you're sitting down, and you're never going to move around, you know, then the thumb behind the neck is just fine. Uh, and there's certain things that the thumb really does have to be behind the neck. If you do a big bar chord... Or yeah. you know, some giant, you know, minor triad stretch on one string. You know, it's just yeah. there's physical limitations, and I've got big hands, so you know. I'm, but to me, the, the thing that um, with hand size is that uh, most people, when they think about hands, they think, "Oh, how far can you reach? What's your horizontal reach?" And I've come to believe that the vertical reach, the, the uh, you know, the perpendicular, being able to stretch your thumb across the strings is far more important for rock guitar again i emphasize rock right. uh and, and blues anything involving string bending anything involving playing hard playing loose playing something where you're going to be um you know, hitting all the strings and having one 
one note come through. Right. And, uh, you know, we're going... <laughs> you know, I oh, wish yeah. you could see that because I'm, I'm, you know, just violently hitting every string and having yeah. one note. You know, it just feels yeah, so you're, good. You're picking with your whole sh- arm there. Yeah, that's, a, your, that's a, a torso pick. Remember when I learned this from Stevie Ray Vaughan? I was trying to do that when I first heard the record when yeah. I was 13. And I couldn't do it. And then later I realized... Yeah, exactly. He's just, he's just all about beating that, that thing. It's just like you're saying, the uh, fretting hand muting. Yeah, I've got a, a poster of Hendrix in, in, in the other room <laughs> where, where his, his thumb is further over the neck than his fingers are from underneath. <laughs> Nice. And it's it's just you know what I you know it's the uh, the kids these days in me you know the the, the, the cantankerous old man in me is, you know sees players these days and just goes like ah oh, you know the, the thumbs not over the neck this is just it's all, where all the wanky vibrato comes from and and uh, and the, and again that that daintiness is it's it's all like I have to be careful because I might hit a string you know yeah. <laughs> and with a thumb over you don't have to be careful you can just beat away on the guitar and have a wonderful time. So you know, on the subject of teaching, you're uh, you've get you're getting deeper and deeper into this. So you have many parallel things going on with, in addition to your playing, mm-hmm. like songwriting, teaching. You've been doing forever now. I think a big culmination of that is your great guitar escape. Is this the third year coming up? Or yeah, the the uh, is, and I could almost count the the G four camp I did with with Joseph right, Shirani right, right. as, as well. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, my third great guitar escape. Now these things are very popular now there's there's you know i mean there's it's which is great i know yeah. you're you're McCalkinen from the jefferson airplane he's had his fur piece ranch camp for a long time yeah i mean one of the reasons i decided to do it was i found out that todd rundgren you know my songwriting hero was doing one i was like oh, if todd's doing one i'll do one yeah you know matthias eklund does mm-hmm. one in sweden i think and you've done it a you know a few of these now what, what's this the key to making a good guitar camp experience well, I I didn't really. I just copied Dweezil's when I first did mine. You know, I looked at his schedule and just tried to do kind of the same thing. And uh, but after I did one, and I you know the the organize the main guy that organizes these, he always makes me read the reviews afterwards. Everybody writes out their comments, and there are you know I'm fortunate enough to get good reviews. But it it surprised me some of the things that people were really uh, really enjoyed were things I wouldn't have expected. Um, one of the things was people really like having breakfast with me. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'd, I'd never yeah. really practiced breakfast. You know, <laughs> that's, not, <laughs> that's not something I, I thought would be like a, you know, a, a uh, something I could advertise. Or, but, you know, I'm happy to, happy to you know, I got to eat too. So I, you know, stand in line, get my bacon and, and sit down with everybody and, and, and eat like, you know, at the same room everybody else does. And, uh, and I think I mean, maybe it's different because, you know, you can... Mm. You can go on YouTube and you can hear me play, but uh, you know, at breakfast we can hang out and, and 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 sort of find out who we are as people. And so, you know, besides there being an overwhelming, you know, amount of, of great guitar information and musical inspiration, there's also the the human side of it. You just get to see who these you know who these people are. And your camp isn't too big. I don't know how big all the other ones are, but I think you limit it to 75 people. Well, that's probably about what I can sell, so we just yeah. say that. But <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, well. if I could sell eighty, we'll probably, we'll probably, we, we, we might we might raise the ceiling. But that's usually you know about the average of of, of what shows up for a, a person of my size. Well, I but don't it's know. a good it's a good amount. That, that's yeah. a small enough amount where I can actually jam with everybody. That's killer. And uh, and it's not. And that's actually a fairly big number to jam with everybody. Because, I was going to say because you know if you spend a minute with each person, that's. 
you know, hour and a half or, or something like that. And so um, we, we do these massive jams where my guitar tech comes in and gets everybody, you know, ready and plugged in so it can just be continuous. And uh, it's, that's an intense experience because we, we pick a groove. And actually, the, the last time, one of the times we did it, Andy Timmons played bass for me. And he was nice enough to do that. We did the Lemon song. You know, nice. that... doing the bass line yeah. and then we just jam over that for for an hour and a half with everybody you know coming up and playing and uh the, the thing about just that keep it going the whole time yeah you know? going you know non-stop and the uh the thing about about jamming i think it's it, it, guitar is such an easy instrument to to never really play it for real and what i mean by that is you know to me the real guitar is in the context of a, of a groove and a song and a band on stage in front of people, you know, you're, you're, it's the, the style of guitar that I play is not meant to be by itself. It needs drums, it needs bass, it needs at the very least. And, uh, you know, if you can get vocals on top, it's even better. But um, it's, uh, it's that, that's the context of it. But I think, I know with myself and I think with most guitar players, we don't play in that situation for for the larger percentage of what we practice. And we sit by ourselves, we play by ourselves out of context. And it can lead you in directions that are really impractical. You end up coming up with all the stuff that you think is great and then you get it, you know, you, know, you put the boat in the water and it just sinks. <laughs> you're like, what happened? Yeah. And it's like, right. well, I forgot about that the, there's water. And the uh, and that's that's what these jams are for, is to sort of make you realize, oh, there's a, a, a tempo and, and these licks that I've got have a whole different meaning. And, you know, stuff that I may not have been interested in suddenly becomes real interesting. And stuff that I was interested in may not have any value. Or you know, you, So you, it, it really is a big, it can give you a big shift in priorities. Let's talk about Mr. Shirley. Now, this is, a, oh, yeah. this, you speak of him, like, with a little bit of, with an incredible amount of respect, but also a little bit of fear, almost. <laughs> Tell me about this. With the this, best kind of fear. Kevin, of course, Kevin Shirley produced the new record for yeah, you. Well, well, most of my albums are, are self-produced, and as soon as recording gear got cheap enough for you know musicians like me to own it ourselves, you're, you know the fantasy that that I always had was like, well, now I can go home and I can do a million takes and get it whatever it is right. And unlike the you know the, the, the situations I've had in the past where you're you're hurried and, and you know the producer you're on the clock. And because uh, you know, I remember those days, the first Racer X album, we, we did it in a week. I did all, I double tracked all my rhythms for the whole album in four hours, did the, the solos in about the same amount of time. And you just leave there going, like, ah, oh, you know, I ended up playing the same solo on every song because I didn't have enough time. And so, you know, it's really nice in a way to, to be in a situation where you're at your home studio and you can relax and you just get take after take, you know, do 70 takes. And, uh, and at the end of it, you think like, well, that must be the, the perfect album because I did as many takes as I wanted to do and I could just make everything perfect and there's no mistakes. But sometimes the end result of that can be that the, 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 the emotions that you were feeling while you were performing got got you know more and more relaxed to the point where you you know you should be playing metal and instead you're playing yacht rock your your emotions got quantized yeah exactly auto-tuned yeah. <laughs> and uh you know there, there's some stuff i love that way but it's just it's just different and uh and kevin's really good at keeping that live spirit and but you have to you have to bring your a game for that because uh 
you know, as, as soon as you start fixing, it, it's it's different, and and he's not going to tolerate it. <laughs> yeah, he's a guitar he's just guy. Too. Say, ah, it's it's good, you know, because I think for him, it's if he's if he chooses between like a great feeling thing that's got a, a clam, and something that's perfect, but you know, it just has lost its feel. He's going to go yeah. with the, with the clam. And I don't want the clam, so I've, it, that means that I, I've really got to pre- be more prepared than I might normally be, and I've, I've got to put a, a you know a band together that's that's going to support me without me having to go back and do overdubs, and so that's why I put a bigger band together. You know, normally I'd be like, oh, I'll just yeah. overdub some parts later, or, you know, and with this, I thought, no, I gotta I gotta have something where when we play it live, it's done. So and tell me that, about this. You're you're going with like a three guitar attack, am I right? Yeah, and that that was a fun way to to arrange the stuff because I knew that was that was going to be the, the case so it, it made me play more melodically a lot of the, the songs you know something like um, the song Make It If We Try yeah. I gotta yeah. learn all these because I did them so fast but I, I wouldn't have thought to play that but I, but I, instead I was thinking like well this will be a great line f- for a three guitar harmony yeah simple for one yeah for for for, for yeah, exactly for, three. for one it's 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 a little lonely but you put three on there it's just like oh this is beautiful so i, I did that for a lot of the tunes i thought because i knew i had three guitars i knew i had three vocals and uh you know it made stuff like turn signal fun because we could have a big goddamn with you know <laughs> three or four part harmony oh you guys are crushing it and um did you have any influences when you're growing up that were three guitar everyone knows molly hatchet had many guitars and all but i'm not i think as, as a kid i was much more interested in the in the solo guitar heroes the, really the, the one the guitar team that i really dug was pat travers and pat thrall um mm. but it wasn't so much they, they had some cool harmonies actually the one that i liked that they did was uh the live version of a song called rock and roll Susie," which was a, a shuffle like one two three four Sort of like tie your mother down, and then one, two, three. And that was the, the oh. one part, and then the other part. One, two, three. Yeah. Together they were just. Let's try that again. One, two, three. I missed it. So I I saw them do that live. I was like, "That's cool." But it was more with with them. It was more like a guitar battle thing where they would trade off these really ferocious, you know, bluesy kind of things. So um, I mean, I heard Thin Lizzy and. but it wasn't, you know, like again, when you play like that, it tends not to be that fiery. It's it's more of like yeah. a, a, a melodic thing, and uh, you know, Boston had some great harmonies. So you know, as, as a kid craving athleticism, that's not really what I was into. But you know, right. now in my golden years, you know, craving <laughs> composition a little more, it's really appealing to me. So that's cool. Now, how do, how does there's probably a million guitar players out there that are working regularly that would want to play in your band? How, how does someone get hired to be? 
to the, how did Tony and Freddie catch your attention? I would say, uh, well, Freddie uh, grew up in the same area where I grew up, so I, I knew a lot of musicians that knew him. And he was kind of, you know, right after I moved to L.A., he was sort of the, the local Pittsburgh legend. And uh, not only as a guitar player, but as a singer. And we, we did a record before called The United States, mm-hmm. which uh, turned out amazing. Really, he just sang great on that record. And uh, Tony was actually a, another Mike Varney artist. Um, he did a lot of, although he, his stuff was more bluesy, so it might have been Blues Bureau or, you know, one of the right. offshoots that Mike had. I think. And they can sing, which is... Yeah, well, I remember when, when I first put my solo band together to do my first tour, I think I needed, I think I needed a bass player. Yeah. And I remember sending, putting up the message at MI saying I need a bass player. And I said, and I said, send me a, a cassette of you playing the bass and singing a Beatles song at the same time. And I was hoping that somebody would would play like. Well, she was just seventeen, you know what I mean, and and be able to you know have the rhythmic. <laughs> facility yeah. to be able to coordinate that and to have a, a range to be able to you know to sing that and have some uh you know vocal the, the, the stylistically have their vocals together where they put not the th- just hit the chords but actually hit that line yeah. or whatever yeah they, they, and i figure if they can oh, with another Whoa, when i saw her standing there well my heart went boom when I crossed that room and I held her hand in my while we danced tonight. So to me, if you can do that, that's so much more important than being able to play a scale up and down, because uh, that's that's music. Yeah. You know, I just want people who are musicians, and and everybody's got their limitations, including me. There's there's stuff. You know, if I get to do some finger picking thing, I'm I'm useless, and uh, you know, with the, Tony's not really a, a metal guy. So, and I I took him out on one of my tours, and we were doing Scarified, Technical Difficulties, and all that you know, pseudo metal instrumental stuff. And I just figure out a part that's that worked, you know, for 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 what he's able to do, and and it's, it sounded great. You know, he doesn't doesn't need to double me on everything. It's I'm doing the main main parts, but you know, then we'd do some stuff where we you know trade off on some blues runs. It would be killer, and of course, you know, we were doing covers. Like we did a cover of Roundabout, and he, you know, with, without him singing that, I would have been in, in, in serious. I would have had some serious problems. Wow. And boy, there's a thing to coordinate that. Upon the drifting cloud, people down on the land. I'm impressed. Just just to <laughs> memorize those lyrics for one thing, and then to, to, to be able to play that line and sing it at the same time. You got to turn those two parts into one new part. Yeah, composite part. That, that was hard. Was uh, Right between the sound machine On a cloud of sound I trip from the night Anything that goes is right Goes far I've never To a start Away from here Well You've got me Like really <laughs> juggling that thing You are a rock and roll jukebox My friend It's awesome That's I was You know I'm doing a lot of interviews Because the new album's out And yeah. somebody said You know What what do you enjoy about playing guitar And it's like This is my radio <laughs> You know if when, any Any song that I want to hear you know, I mean, the radio might not play it. You know, I might not be able to find it in my CD collection. You know, YouTube's pretty good. I can usually find stuff there, but even that, you got to type something in. The guitar yeah. is instant. Yeah. Like any song I want to, I want to hear. Not only do I get to hear yeah. it, but I get to be a part of it. You know, you, when you play it, you connect to it so much. 
So I'll make sure that I got all the gear covered for your new record. Any other amps that you were using, like recording for these songs? Well, of course, the, the Marshall Twenty One. I'm sorry, Two Zero Six One X head is, is always always sounds great. Um, this what, is, what would so, you run that through? Uh, uh, well, I had a okay. um, uh, the the. 1960 TV 412 cabinet which is a little bit taller than the other ones yep. I don't know if it sounds different it looks really cool yeah I think they do sound different yeah and uh, the pedals I think I, I might have used a um, the other way huge pedal the, the saucy box for a couple things um, but really, I would say that the main effect I had was having two other guitar players right because when you've got two other guitar players you don't really need to have a lot of stuff on your guitar because there's it, it's already got you know extra texture did you use solely ibanez's throughout the whole record or the only non-ibanez guitar was an acoustic that i had which i actually have gotten storage at the moment it's a uh, an arnold arnold mj hennig acoustic and i used that in the song uh, love we have No, it's beautiful on that tune how it's like the verse is faster than the chorus and you, it's like the breaks go on kind of when you go back. Now that tempo, if I had the whole song at that kind of slow... The, If that was the whole tune, I would I would just be really scared of people walking out the door because it's just, it's just right. it's just there's nothing that driving about the tempo. So um, my solution was just make the verse faster, <laughs> speed it up, speed it up. <laughs> there's another great slowdown moment on a very funny song. I am not the one who wants to be with you. Oh yeah. You go straight into just the nasty 12-8 in the middle of that tune. I'm not the one who wants to be with you. Oh, it's just it's so unexpected. You think almost think the song is over, and then... Yeah. And that's, that's actually one of my proudest moments as a guitar player is because I I mean you know anybody else can be the judge of this but when I started doing the uh, you know I, f I feel like I got a pretty authentic you know stinky groove on that thing and and you know I mean the grass is always greener you know when you're when when you're pegged to shredder if I get anything resembling something that's more in a different style, whether it be rock and roll or blues or jazz, I get pretty excited about that. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's got that big 70s blues sound. Yeah. So. And that's and re I really genuinely did play that stuff for long before oh, yeah. I ever became a shredder. It was, as a kid, I spent a lot of time just, you know, just you know, doing that all day and all oh, night. You know? I can tell, man. I can tell. So before I forget, too, I want to make sure I cover all the little gear bits like yeah. first of all strings these days i assume so you've been probably using the same 
company forever, right? Yeah, they're Ernie Ball. I really like the RPS yeah. strings because I, in general, don't use a whammy, yeah. and so it's a stronger uh, reinforced ball end, uh, so they just never break. I think I probably had was using nines. Um, I, I go back and forth. I mean, a lot of times I'll use eights if my calluses are getting worn down, and if, and if I uh, if I'm on the road, I might go heavier because I'm just eights. beating it harder. What scale length are your guitars? Hey? Well, the Fireman guitars are. are like uh, the 24 and three quarter mm. um the uh the pgms are, are 25 and a half right so, so. Th- in general the, uh, i'll often drop a gauge I'll, I'll go a gauge lighter on the on the pgms um but you wouldn't use eight. but again would you use eights on a fireman what's that would you use eights on a fireman or is that a little bit I've got eights on here now i think no the, maybe what are these that feels like yeah. a nine. I've probably got nines on here. But sure, you know, right. I, I, I've actually yeah. got sevens on a fireman. I get one of those Billy Gibbons sets. A friend of mine from Dunlop <laughs> gave me a Billy Gibbons set with the sevens. And it's it's That's horrible awesome. for fast picking because as soon as you pick a note, the, the, the whole string just m- sort of wobbles. But for playing slower stuff, it's, it's you know, the vibrato is just, okay. it's, it's a party. <laughs> There's some cool pedals on the record. Like you got like a almost an EVH kind of flange sound maybe on. Oh, yeah, that's the electroharmonics uh uh, what do you call it? Uh, Memory Man, or no, the the, the flanger, the Electric Mistress. You also have the phase tone happen in a couple of the solos. Oh yeah, that's have the, like the a, MXR Phase Ninety, the, the script one with the LED. I've, yeah. I've always loved that one. Yeah, that sounds great. Ch- channeling Van Halen One. And you do have like a shred cadenza. I think it's at the end of I Can Destroy or something. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. That's um. Yeah, that's just going for it. You know, I mean, there's, yeah. you know, I, I can't help but but uh, but throw, have that somewhere on the record. That's, uh, you know, when you're cornflakes, you're cornflakes. You got to have. <laughs> you, can't, well, you can't just be uh, you can't be steak and lobster if you're, if the box says cornflakes. So I, I, I've got to uh, I've got to put some of that on there. Okay, and also of course the drill, the Makita. I think it makes it. I finally a, remembered to bring it to the studio. I, I always forget that yeah. that I'm I'm a drill guy, and. Uh, it's it just puts a smile on everybody's face you know when you start playing with a drill just everybody yeah. starts cracking up and uh and you know it seemed to work in that tune you know i could play it actually rhythmically so it became part of the music well that's the hook Do you punch in with that, or do you re- literally? I, I, well, why well, I, I played it live, and then Kevin, you know, did what he did because he, he will. He, he, although he likes it live, he will take exciting yeah. parts from here and there and, and, and edit them together. Because I guess I'm asking, it does take a little time to grab that thing and then put it down. Yeah, exactly. So there, there we, we can uh, we can explain that away with some edit, editing trickery. <laughs> yeah, a little crossfade. Either that, or I just got to get my roadie, you know, right yeah. there, ready with it. So, I mean, I think a lot of people might not realize, but you're, a lot of that sound is purely microphonic, right? Well, or the the, the, the the thing that sounds like the drill. The, wee, wee, the other thing is yeah. it sounds like tremolo picking. Yeah, the, tr- the actual picks are giving you the tremolo picking, but the yeah. wee, that's like is that's, your that's the motor of the drill. Yeah, the motor of the, the drill coming through the magnets. Yeah. And that's the same yeah. thing Eddie Van Halen did on, on Pound Cake. Yeah, yeah. Well, how did it feel when you saw Eddie Van Halen with his drill? I mean, you obviously no one owns Makita. I was just, I was just sort of like waiting for the dream to end. That was just yeah. surreal. Um, because obviously it's an unusual thing to do with the guitar, and I, I think I was so yeah. off of his radar that he didn't realize that someone else had done it. Um, so, was, yeah. you know, I, I, if anything, I felt like, <laughs> hey, maybe I'll get to meet him. 
you know, we love what we love. Man, I'm the biggest Van Halen fan. Yeah. I was I had a Van Halen tribute band for years. We played all over the country. Yeah. And then I'll really, you know. One day I realized, hey, that sounds just like Steve Lukather's riff on the tubes. Talk to you later by the yeah. tubes. I asked Steve about that. Of course, he's like, oh, man, it's all just the blues, dude. It's all just the blues. Oh, what's that again? He said, it's all just the blues. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the blues. Well, there's... Uh... There's things that I'll I'll lift from, from other artists on purpose, almost because I want to promote them. Like yeah. there's, there's this there's this ending of a Pat Travers song called "Hooked on Music." I can he's using some kind of fourth chords like those. You know, they're, they're those kind of chords, yeah. and he's he's really orchestrated it well with a bass part where it's actually pretty sophisticated. You know, I I've forgotten it, but I, I've always loved that ending of that song. You know, no one ever seemed to love it as much as I did. So I lifted that whole ending and put it on the ending of one of my songs. And I was just sort of sat back and waited like, somebody's going to catch it. Somebody's gonna... Nobody ever noticed, you know. But, uh, you know, that's why I'm here today saying, you know, listen to Hooked on Music by Pat Travers and then check out the end of Stone Pushing Uphill Man and you'll you'll hear... Actually, I did, the one thing I changed is I, I added a, a guitar solo melody to it. I did want to ask you, man, what is it like? You're an established guitar player. What's a, what's a clinic tour like, man? The clinic tours, well, I've done a lot of them over the years, and they've, they've, the way I've done them has really changed. Now, I either try to play with local musicians, uh, or I bring a, a, a stomp box that I can stomp on just to create a beat, and I really try to stay away from backing tracks. Um, I just feel that, that backing tracks are encouraging people to play in the mall. Right. I remember the first time I heard about like the, the mall tours that the, the the young pop idols would like you know what's the girl uh, Tiffany right like that, that was the first time I heard about a mall tour you know where Tiffany right, would go right, and right. sing to the backing track and, and just be like by herself doing little dances and it it was just so unrock again you know going back to the daintiness of it all and I think the backing tracks allow you to be dainty. And they're just not rock, and and I'd I'd, I'd rather sit there and, and stomp on a cardboard box, and and rock, you know, than than play with a backing track. And uh, it's easy to play with a backing track because you know they don't make a mistake, and and you can, you know, the songs right. always the same way. It's reliable, but it's just there's there's something dead about it. There's something that's not alive. And um, the more that I play, the more I get into improvisation. I'd rather play yeah. with two bad musicians that are messing me up, which often happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's yeah. a risk saying like, "Get me two local guys." You know, a lot of times I'll get two guys that they're not into it. They met a, they maybe they didn't learn the songs that well. Maybe stylistically, they they were it wasn't the best choice. <laughs> and, and I'll be sitting it. there struggling because they're playing the song too fast. And they're missing notes and and uh, but I don't care. I'd much rather do that than play with a backing track. There it's, you it's go, just being healthier. positive again. <laughs> Well, because the, when we do get it right, it's so much more right. Right. You know, it's worth it to, to have that, you know, that those, those couple moments. And, and usually it's more than a couple moments. Usually right, it's right. most of it. You're just going like, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm playing with two other human beings. We're communicating. We're listening to each other. Backing tracks won't listen to you. And and human beings, they may not listen to you either, but there's at least a, a fighting chance of it. We really covered a lot of stuff, man. You are. This, oh, I didn't cover the slide. 
Yeah, I was wondering, is that you? That I, I made a huge breakthrough. I found the right finger. It, I, I've been playing with the wrong, I mean, for, you know, it's subjective. Everybody's got their, their oh, yeah. favorite finger. But uh, I'd been playing with my third finger all my life and, and sucking all my life. And, and I, by accident, put it on my second finger because I couldn't find my slide. And the only slide I had sitting around with this giant glass one, and it was just—it was too wobbly on my third finger, so I put it on the second one. And all of a sudden, my vibrato was better. You're and just my, killing. It was just everything was was working. And I was like, "Oh man, I, I didn't know." That's like on "Woman Stop." Yeah. Tune. Yeah, that one. Uh, th- that's that's another thing where, like, from going to GIT and learning intervals, that's actually hugely helpful for my songwriting to have that little bit of intellectual knowledge to, to get you over the bump of running out of imagination. So, because if I just sit around and sing like blues riffs, if I got, if I go like, okay, the song's gonna be in G. And, you know, what's the melody? You know, I might go, you know, you know, you know, you can do that yeah. all day. And, and, I, and I'm just going like, wow, what's uh, what else is there? I can't find anything that, that, that like makes this special. And intellectually from knowing, OK, if I take something that's like a, a not, not a chord tone and emphasize it rhythmically and then resolve it. That might be interesting. In the same way that yesterday starts with the ninth on a strong beat, and yesterday, and then resolves to the yep. root. You know, that's just a, a, a melodic trick. And so, to to emphasize the sixth, you can still pay the rent. And then I got from George Thorogood that because yeah. he, in what he's doing. Yeah, you're sliding the the whole major chord up. Yeah, I, would, I, I wouldn't yeah. have thought of that. That's something that I that, yeah. that I didn't did not learn at school, but learned from a song. You know, in theory, that's wrong. Yeah. You know, all yeah. those notes are, but it really emphasizes it. And back up, so. <laughs> but it sounds so good. Thank you, George Thorogood. And it's very funny what your your take on "Be with You" with this this. New tune. Oh, the, I am not the one who wants to be with you. Yeah, that because uh, that was obviously such a huge hit for. That was your number one hit with yeah. Mr. Well, Big. You well, it's, like, my, it's my second anti-song. The first one being uh, a song I wrote called "I'm Not Addicted," which was sort of inspired by uh, "Addicted to That Rush." Right. And uh, again, just the, the way I, th- I think it's a part of my thought process. If, if there's something, what's the what's the other side? You know, in order to know something, you've got to know the black and the white. And so, obviously, you know, both of those songs are songs that I've played a billion times. I love them both. But, you know, they, they make me wonder about the other side of things. And uh, so it, it's, you know, I, I definitely get a big grin on my face when I'm singing, I am not the one who wants to be with you. Well, yeah, you've mentioned how, you know, obviously when that, when Be With You came out and it actually hit number one for a few weeks and you're like looking at like Michael Jackson's below you on the chart. And, you know, a lot of people say that handling success is just as challenging as handling failures. What was the challenge or I should just say, like, what advice do you have for someone who might get their first number one? Well, we had really, I mean, I don't know if this is advice, but but we had really uh, great management and they were they were very straightforward with us and uh and they said i remember having a a meeting in the bus our manager herbie herbert came down and he says guys 
this is never going to happen to you again in your life. And uh, this is great. This is wonderful. This is fantastic. This is just, he said, this is so unlikely that this has happened. So he said, we, we really got to make the most of it. We got to, you know, I don't, you, you know, you're not going to sleep for a while because you're going to be on, on planes. We're not going to cancel any shows because we were on tour. He said, but we're going to squeeze in doing Letterman, doing uh, Tonight Show, you know, doing all these TV things, doing MTV, you know, Spring Break. Uh, he said, you know, we're, we're going to do those and you, you're not going to sleep like you would like to. So you're, it's going to be a little punishing to, to you as human beings you know, <laughs> that need to sleep. But he said, this, this is the only time you're ever going to get to do this. So make the most of it. Well, that's cool. But was there any kind of come down after that when... Well, it, the come down had it really had nothing to do with that song. It had to do with the the trends in music in America in general, um, where suddenly, you know, we had, or I know for me, it, it took me a long time to get big hair. It was it was that wasn't easy. It, it took years to to get hair that big, and all of a sudden it wasn't cool anymore. And you know, to, to, to have invested that much into something and suddenly have it be not cool. And then not only just that, but like the style of playing, to be playing this athletic stuff and suddenly that's not cool. You're kind of talking about like what, Nirvana hitting and yeah, so, so it's, it's Seattle like, sound? It, it's like you, you, you work and save all this money and then suddenly that currency is devalued. You know, it's like, hey, I've got a million rubles, and then the you know, you know the economy of, of Russia crashes. Like, oh, they're not worth anything anymore. This is valueless. But but fortunately, you know, we still did really well in Japan and Europe internationally, and you know, America wasn't that bad. I mean, we still oh, did, yeah. did tours, but uh, there, there was a, started to be a real contrast between playing internationally and playing in the states. And it, it's funny. It took me actually decades to really get a um, a more realistic view of, of my position in in like the world of, of guitar in, in the world because I just I just sort of stuck my ostrich head into the very optimistic sand here's a, there's a metaphor of, uh, <laughs> of what was going on in Japan there was this magazine over there called Young Guitar they'd put me on the cover once or twice a year I'd win all the polls you know so you know this is you know like 1997 so it'd be like you know you know, me number one, and below me would be Ingve and Steve Vai and Eric Clapton and everybody, and I'd be thinking that was real, and thinking, you know, I'd sort of be, you know, thinking how wonderful I was to, you know, because oh, it's Japan, and, and then after a while, you know, and again, it took decades, and I didn't really want to believe anything else, where I finally realized, like, that's just one little magazine and one little country, <laughs> the rest of yeah. the world's really different, really, and really big, and you and you can see that by you know the size of the touring people are doing, you know. You'd see, you know, the venues Clapton playing and the venue I'm playing, and there's a, you know, quite a difference between the two. So, uh, you know, now I've sort of properly been put in my place, and I think I have a little better, uh, a little more sane view of my position in the world, which is just fine. When it comes down to it, I just have a great time sitting around and, and learning my, uh, uh, you know, learning Moonlight, Moonlight uh, what's the song? Moonlight, It Feels Right by Starbuck on YouTube and, and teaching it to the students. <laughs> That epic marimba solo. Oh, man. With the, the open-chested onesie. <laughs> That's what you need for your uh, for your next <laughs> tour. I got, I got to do some sit-ups. You want to take it out? What, what do you want to jam on? Let's, let's jam into the let's, sunset. Yeah, let's jam on something. I want to jam on... I want to jam on taking care of business, <laughs> which is in C. Well, so just, 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 just follow me on this. One, two, three. Mm-hmm. 
turn up my volume. <laughs> Think like if you don't talk, then the other person will just out of nervousness keep talking. <laughs> and you're just sitting there. <laughs> well, I did a really long solo. You're just balancing it out. There's the teeth, folks. He's playing with his teeth. <laughs> 